for the people that just joined, the, this is James Coleman. He's one of the guys that trained me um, on the CO2 system. And then he did give us a little bit of background, but if you guys just want to refresh him really quick, um, we got a couple of people that are going to be joining pretty soon. So if you want to just refresh them, give us a little bit of a background story. Uh, I also might have forgot to push the record button. So <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Oh, my God. Um, so, so we so just got we just, we just got the adrenaline junkie part. <laughs> yeah. My name is James Coleman. Um, I've been in the trade and refrigeration and air conditioning for coming up on 10 years now. Um, I... Got into the trade with a company called Source Refrigeration. I've done any, everything from being the case de-icer and working my way up to a lower management position. I was a service manager for two and a half years. Um, and then I left that company. Uh, well, I, also, while I was at that company, I was, I was, doing, uh, I was in, in charge of startup for all new supermarket uh, systems. Uh, and then I came back to the original company I started with and to the startup uh, division. And I've been working startup. Um, I'm also head of programming um, for the company across the nation. Um, I support our different departments like uh, our EMS department. Um, they monitor uh, customers' locations as well as, um, you know, contact the customers to see if they want to place a service call to see if they have, you know, cases running warm or what have you. They dial into stores and, and say, okay, yeah, the temp sensors saying that it's reading warm, but is the case actually warm? That kind of thing. Um, I provide tech support across the company. I'm also a trainer uh, for the company across the nation. So I'm actually going to be going to Montana, Texas and Phoenix, Arizona twice to Phoenix, Arizona before the end of the year, uh, teaching CO2 startup as well as um, starting up stores with these different technicians. Yeah. Um, so so you're also one of the guys that trained me. I know we briefly went over the crazy story. A kid. I used to love racing motorcycles. Um, I still uh, mess around with off-road racing. I, I have a race truck in my garage right now, actually. Um, but I, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. And I used to race motorcycles to the point where I would get hurt. Well, now I can't get hurt anymore. I got a daughter and a wife that I support, you know? So I got to find my adrenaline rushes elsewhere. And CO2 definitely gives me an adrenaline rush. Everybody's so afraid of it because the pressures are so high, but you got to think about it. Every component in a CO2 system compared to a DX system is engineered for that pressure that it's going to be seen. Mm -hmm. Just like Every component in a DX system is engineered for that pressure it's going to be seen. Mm. So if the only way you are going to make a mistake and get hurt is by human error. The system's not just going to explode. There's mm. so many safeties. There's, there's so many mechanical and computer-controlled safeties that make it to where the system is not just going to explode. And I think people have... Uh, this premonition that it, that that's going to happen. It's it's just not. Yeah. So it's it's literally there's a couple different valves and a couple different pressures you need to look out for, but other than that, CO two is um, just like working on a DX system. Yeah. So. 
All right. So, <laughs> so have you have you seen any crazy stories? You know, on, especially on CO two. I I know you mentioned um, human error is the main cause, the main source of um, of issues that you have seen. Is there anything that you've seen out in the field? Is there anything that you can show us what what not to do, especially during new construction? Because I know there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of stores coming up pretty soon. There's going to be a lot of construction with CO two. Um, you know, is there any like the one thing do not ever do on CO two? Use the proper fittings where they go on the system. Okay. Every time. Every time. So what I mean by that is, and here I can. Okay. Let me share my screen, and, and I'm going to share. You're going to see a picture on the screen I'm sharing right now. Uh huh. We're looking at it. Um. So that is what happens when you put a type K reducer where type XHP copper should be. So I don't know if, if for, for the people out there, maybe, maybe they don't know, but type XHP is rated for, what is it? It's like, uh, I want to say 2100, 2200 PSI. I have the numbers right here. Um, it's rated for very, very high pressure. Um, and these, the transcritical side of these CO2 systems see pressures anywhere from 13, 14, 15, 1600 PSI. Um, it, if, it, if your electronic safeties fail, you can get up to 1740 PSI, mm-hmm. um, before you pop a relief on the transcritical side. And so the picture that you're looking at is a type K reducing coupling that was on a heat reclaim coil on the discharge side or on the transcritical side of the system. So that after doing research on that type K coupling, that coupling was good for 1,330 PSI, 1,330 PSI. The last thing I saw on the graph for that E2, for the discharge pressure, was 1,325 PSI. Three minutes later, it was zero. Because obviously that's when an E2 graphs its log. It's in three-minute increments. I mean, obviously you can adjust it. Um, so it literally took all, all the rest of the piping was the correct piping, all XHP, the 90 that you see in the background, all the piping that looks like it's a water hose all bent, uh, is all XHP. So XHP is eighth inch thick and it's iron cladded copper. So mm-hmm. you can actually take a magnet to it and a magnet will stick to the copper. Mm-hmm. Typically copper is not ferrous. So therefore a magnet cannot stick to it. But because this copper is iron cladded, it has small bits of pieces of iron in it. Um, a magnet will stick to it. And it's also eighth inch thick where typical like type K is only like 60 thou thick. So it's half, half, half the thickness, uh-huh. wall thickness. Uh, so what ended up happening, it, it gets, got up to 1330 PSI. It popped that fitting. And when it popped that fitting, it swung all the pipes inside of this air handler around like a, a water hose and it basically imploded the unit. And let me see if I can go to another. That looks like here. a copper leaf from like a plant. So that that's like an outside picture of the unit. So that same piece of pipe that you saw that looked uh, radius bent, that's the pipe sticking out of the unit. And that went literally, I don't know if you can see my cursor. Yeah. Yeah. We can see literally. It. To the top of the the heat recon coil right there. That was the header for the heat recon coil. Jeez, so, so I've got another picture. 
you can actually, if you look, that square piece of a of sheet metal next to it, it used that header used to be parallel to that. So it literally took it and bent it back. Yeah. So yeah, you can see how these all the all the um Yes, yeah, you can tell it's bent back. They were straight at one time. Jeez. So so this this was all just from using the incorrect piping, the incorrect um coupling on a CO two system that runs that that was a reducer. One one fitting is all took. That's crazy. So what did it sound like? Uh I wasn't there on site, but the because the store was you know still in the process of being started up so uh-huh. there was no product in the store or, or nobody in the store um and it was one of uh one of my coworkers that, at the time who was starting the store up and basically he's not the one obviously who piped it he was the starter tech um, but there was a security guard in the parking lot and he said I've been through wars, like he would, he went through the Vietnam War, and he said it reminded me, it brought back my PTSD of the Vietnam <laughs> Damn. War because it was so loud. The roof ended up; they, they had to bring a structural engineer out to do a survey on the roof because um, they were worried that some of the joists in the roof, uh, like beams in the roof, had had been compromised because they ended up calculating that the roof moved three feet up and down when it happened jesus so it it was That's pretty crazy. insane yeah three feet up and like a, the shock mad flex that's yeah. just wow yeah this is that so like i said i don't want everybody to be afraid of working on co2 but i want them to be aware just like a dx system on the discharge side of a DX system, you would never use drain line pipe on a, on a, on a discharge line, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- this is like using, you know, regular type K, or this is using regular type K or L um, on a, a, a system that's not designed for it. Yeah. You know, every component in the system is designed to handle the pressure. If you install a component that is incorrect in that system, bad things can happen. Just like on a DX system, if you install a component incorrectly, bad things can happen. I've seen discharge lines blow apart on on a, a DX system too. Yeah. You know, that could be a simple small mistake or somebody wanting to take like a shortcut, you know, just like, oh, you know, like I don't have one of those and yeah, it should be fine, you know, just to throw in one of these real quick and, and you end up causing more damage taking a shortcut. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this was like an excess of like 50 grand to fix Ooh. after all of a sudden done. Because that the the customer couldn't get another uh, air handler in time. So we had to rebuild that one and they just sent us all parts and it still took like four or five weeks to get the parts. So mm. it, it delayed the opening of the store. Jeez. So, um, but luckily it was in the summertime um, you know, you didn't need the heater. So we, you know, put lipstick on a pig and got it going as, as best we could. With, with no heat so, reclaim? With no heat reclaim. Yeah. yeah. So it was Jeez. cool. I, uh, it definitely, one thing with CO2, when you're starting it up, uh-huh. 
always take your time. I don't care if somebody's rushing you. You can tell them they have to wait. Yeah, it's it's a safety concern. Exactly. It's a safety concern. It's not worth getting hurt over. It's not even yourself, though. But, you know, like you have tons of cases and everything Mm -hmm. else that runs at super high pressures, you know, whether, you know, they're on a deadline, but, you know, things are super, super important, not just to yourself who's being the technician, but for the individuals of the store and, and the customers. I mean, just to put it into perspective, like the liquid pressures going into a into a supermarket store from a DX rack, like a regular R four forty eight rack, like on a decently warm day, you're at like 250, 260 psi, maybe. And it's probably if you have a you know dirty condenser or dirty uh, scaled up evap tower or something. On these systems, you're running five hundred psi, literally double the pressure going into the store. Yeah. So. Um, Always, always take your time. Like one of my main focuses before I even put liquid in the rack. Um, and, and by the way, there's two different ways. There's two different. Well, there's technically three different states of matter, but with a typical DX system, all we use is liquid, right? We charge liquid. We charge it straight into the suction line. Well, mm-hmm. on a CO2 system, you have to get it above. Uh, basically, it's like 65 psi. Yeah, 65 PSI, because that is the point at which um, liquid CO2 cannot exist as a vapor. So therefore, it flashes below 65 PSI, it flashes into a solid. And that solid we know as dry ice. So that, that's, what, that's what CO2 is b- below 65 PSI. It's dry ice. And so... Everybody gets so worried about dry ice. It's very, very rare that you will make dry ice in a system. Um, you have to really try hard to make dry ice in a system. So what you'll do is you'll use vapor CO2 to get the pressures up. Um, like on initial startup, I'll try to get the pressures up to about 200 PSI with vapor tanks. Um, and then from there, I go through all my wiring checks. Literally, I check all the wiring connections to make sure that they're landed where where the engineering uh, electrical schematic says they're supposed to be there. Because it's, you know, it happens all the time when you see these manufacturers are just trying to get racks out the racks out the door. Uh, stuff isn't wired correctly, you know, and it, it could be very detrimental to your startup. My, my main goal on my startups is to not blow a relief. Yeah. If I can not blow a relief and get all the cases running good within two to three days, that's a successful startup right there. Granted, I'm going to be there a lot longer than that, fine-tuning everything. But if I can have the cases running and down to temp within two to three three days, I am one heck of a happy camper. Yeah. So, and without without blowing a roof, that's like always my goal. Don't blow a roof. Yeah. Now, no, I, I do remember like I, coming back from from not you know not going CO two like I, one of the I one of the first things I did on one of the, my first startups is. I couldn't get it online. It ended up being the Danfoss valve wasn't set right, but I blew the relief. What do you have for the technicians? You know, you know, ultimately that's your goal. But when you blow your relief, one of the things that you told me was don't panic, which was actually yeah. something that I, I actually wrote it down and call it my Jesus book. I don't know if you remember my Jesus book. I still I have it. I remember your Jesus book. <laughs> <laughs> you still got that thing? I still have that thing. Yeah, I've showed it right to on. Lorenzo. Oh, yeah. I yeah. showed it to Lorenzo the other that's day. Awesome. I, was like, I was like, you see this right here? This is a... Uh, uh, this is where I wrote all my stuff and the head of the notes that I, you know, that I wrote down when I was training with you. 
Um, dude, if the podcast keeps kicking off like it is, that thing's gonna be worth a ton of money. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. You should see it though, dude. It's all beat up. I, is it? I honestly don't think that anybody will be able to read it because it's chicken scratch. But yeah, you know, <laughs> the person right. it was intended for, he can definitely read it, and uh, you know he won't kill yeah. himself. Oh, I wrote it too because I wrote I write in cursive, but it's really fucked up cursive. So it's, it, it'll <laughs> be like uh, what's that movie with Denzel Washington, the book of the book of Eli, the book Literally, of Eli, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Book yeah. Of Eli. yeah, there you go, yeah, no so. pun intended. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> only only somebody like Denzel Washington will be able to read it. Yeah. It'll be rad. So uh, so what are some things to look out uh to look out for uh during startup? So one of the things that I've been interested in is in startup. Now, I haven't done any startup at all, but uh, I'm I'm curious to see like what are things to look out for or what's something that you know, you definitely have to double check. Like perfect example is um so we commissioned some small self-contains and these small self-contains, we found out that that come from the manufacturer. You have to tighten all the electrical lugs because Absolutely. what what happens is if you try to leave it like you know as default, uh, it ends up actually blowing out all these compressors and stuff. And so I thought that was weird. That like why would it leave that way from the manufacturer, and then you know come to find out losing like. A whole entire compressor. What's even worse is a lot of manufacturers will use uh, like paint marker, and they'll mark off like near near an electrical component or what have you to mm. basically say that oh yeah this has been torqued um, because technically in their submittals they they have they have um, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for they have specifications that you know uh, like a two watt um, two watt power lug. Mm-hmm. will have to be torqued to, I don't know, 50 foot pounds or what have you. Right. So you'll, you'll need not just a torque wrench, but you'll need a torque screwdriver as well. Um, so that way you can make sure all of your low voltage is torqued to spec. You can make sure all of your high voltage is torqued to spec. Like I was on a startup uh, six months ago in San Diego, in Vista, San Diego. And um, we ended up finding, well, we found a bunch of stuff, but we ended up finding that Every single compressor, the, the the lugs were tightened at the contactors, but at the compressors, they literally, you could take the wires and pull them in and out, literally pull them in and out, and none of them were tight, not a single one of them. Yeah. We also found there's, on this particular rack, it had two variable speed drives, one for the lead medium temp compressor and one for the lead low temp compressor. And on both variable speed drives, they wired the power into the output of the variable speed drive. Oh, like then they, they wired the line power into the output of the variable speed drive. <laughs> so that was a tough one to find. Uh, luckily that on the first one anyways, luckily, and I will say this is my mess up. Um, I'm not perfect. You know, I've been doing it for 10 years, but I still can make mistakes. Um, that wasn't one that I had found in the past, but now I will be looking out for it on every single startup I do. But basically what happened is as soon as we kicked power on, the drive came on because it was back. Basically, we were back feeding through the drive where, you know, per se, a DC wave should be coming out. Um, mm-hmm. We were sending AC voltage in. We should have blown the drives off the wall, but technically, uh, luckily, we didn't, and the drive just faulted and wouldn't allow us to do anything. So, gotcha. Uh, that was my my main thing when I'm doing pretty much any startup is I'm verifying sensors, I'm verifying transducers. 
Um, you can, I just got a good idea uh, from a buddy of mine. And you know that uh, computer keyboard cleaner? They call it duster or whatever. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, use that to verify your sensors. Flip it upside down and spray that on your sensors and you should see your sensor get a lot cooler because technically it's aerosol inside there, right? Oh, yeah. And when you flip it upside down, you're basically turning it into a liquid. So therefore, you are going to freeze whatever, whatever it touches. Yeah. And so I'm going to go buy me like a couple cases of, of duster and that's what I'm going to be using to verify sensors. Before, I used to do it the old-fashioned way. Take the sensor off, put my hand around it, and wait for the sensor to heat up and, and yeah. watch it on my, my laptop. Yeah, that's normally what I do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Duster is the way to go. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things I like to look for too is um, your sensing bulb placement. Good. Uh -huh. um, are, are your solenoids energizing and de-energizing? Uh, let's say if you got stepper valves, can you hear man, manually drive them closing? Can you hear them closing? You should be able to hear a stepper valve bottom out. It will actually reach a bottom out point. So like on a, a Emerson ESR board mm -hmm. with, let's say, like a, a SER style um, EPR, um, when you power cycle the ESR board, the first thing it does when it, when it uh, regains power is it drives the valves closed and you can actually hear them bottom out. So what it's doing when it drives the valves closed is it's actually looking for a raise in the amperage of the valve. And so when it sees mm. that raise in amperage above a specific um, point, and it, don't ask me what that point is, it's probably uh, programmed to the, the algorithms of the board. Um, but when it sees that amperage, it knows, hey, I'm at 0%. I'm closed gotcha. all the way. And so that's why you, it's very important, like on a startup, that you have a bunch of uh, uh, suction SER valves or you know uh, electronic EPRs. Mm -hmm. um, that you power cycle those boards, so you it's it's verified, verified, verified. Double check, double check, double check. Always everything. And honestly, I will say I'm a little bit more uh, ballsy when it comes to like DX stuff. It's like uh, um, basically freaking start it up and ask questions later. And and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. But CO2 stuff, I'm very adamant about going through yeah. everything before I even start a compressor or turn a compressor on. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be because there's just so much margin for error. You know, you guys know out in the field, like just getting parts right now is extremely difficult. So oh, you yeah. want to try to avoid breaking anything or, or causing any human error if at all possible. So we're out here in the central Valley. Are you guys having that same issue out there? And, the you know, in, the, in your guys' area, we, we're having a, as, uh, with getting parts, part, yeah. like getting parts and yeah. stuff. It's extremely difficult. I've been waiting, uh, three, three and a half months right now for, for a, uh, just a regular multi-flex board from Emerson. Oh, um, wow. Mm. They, so this Dixel, uh, iPro, it's the iPro genius. This is a, a a store in San Diego. Um, it lost its programming somehow. And, and I was speaking to the engineers from, from Dixel and they were like, well, yeah, now we, we see exactly why it lost its programming. So um, they're actually going to be giving me the rights and I have to use a program called WizMate and connect to the iPro. I believe I'll be one of the only ones in Southern California that will actually be able to program an iPro. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, I can't wait. That, that'll be fun to learn. Yeah. Um, 
So there basically it, it stopped reading its drop line pressure and it stopped reading its receiver pressure. And this was a store that had been running for six months already, like eight months. All of a sudden out of nowhere, it's reading zero PSI on the, on the receiver pressure. And so I swapped transducers, still the same thing. I hooked those transducers up to a board on the E2. They read perfectly. Um, and then literally the next morning, it stopped reading pressure on, on the drop leg pressure. And so the rack, like we'd already pumped in like 600 pounds the night before, 600 pounds of liquid the night before. And we're all of a sudden blown off uh, reliefs again mm-hmm. um, because we're going off on discharge. now, And it was just insane. Luckily, it wasn't a discharge relief that we blew. It was just getting up to its maximum discharge pressure and shutting off the compressors. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, um, you know, obviously the flash tank pressure is going to rise and then it's going to blow the 650 PSI relief. So um, that, that rack's really cool though. It's got a, uh, it's called a pre-relief. And so what the pre-relief is, as long as you have power to everything, all, this, all the transducers are reading to the E2, it actually reaches a, a certain set point and it's the pre-relief is basically uh, a, a suction stop and a stepper valve, a stepper like electronic EPR basically. And so what happens is, is it'll get up to, I want to say it was 560 PSI mm-hmm. and it'll energize the solenoid on, on the, on the suction stop basically. And just after that suction stop is the, um, the, the stepper valve. And when it starts getting up to 590 PSI, it slowly opens it up. And I'm talking, so I had to test this thing and it was cool testing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was allowing it to get up to, you know, 590 PSI. And I had to fine tune the PID on uh, a loop sequence control. And basically, I could only allow the valve to open up to 5% maximum. The fucking GoPro's there. <laughs> Oh, what was that? Oh, we're, 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 we're listening to you and watching you. And then at mid-conversation of all this, his GoPro died. 